Time Warner Audiobooks and Intellectual Properties Management presents a selection from A Call to Conscience, the landmark speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Eulogy for the Young Victims of the 16th Street Baptist Church Bombing, with an introduction written and read by Rev. Fred Shuttlesworth. Producer's Note Please be aware that although this audio selection follows the format of Warner Books' hardcover release, A Call to Conscience, the speech presented here may differ in length or content from the printed version. Some gaps exist in the original recordings, which will be apparent to the listener. However, we have used the most complete recorded version available. For further insight, we encourage you to consult the book, A Call to Conscience, the landmark speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Hello, I'm Rev. Fred Shuttlesworth. It was in Birmingham in 1954 that I first met Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. While the city buzzed and chatted about the, quote, young man with a Ph.D., end quote. In a short meeting with him, I, the Birmingham young agitator, was quite impressed with his unassuming disposition, his humility, and his heartfelt belief in nonviolent direct action to end segregation in the South. Being preachers, we knew segregation was wrong. God's Word teaches nonviolence, and Gandhi's example of suffering and victory in India led us to believe that nonviolent action was the way to achieve freedom. The 1954 Supreme Court decision against school segregation gave us new hope, and we firmly sensed that the tide of American injustice was beginning to turn, despite Southern reactions to the decision. Interposition, notification, citizens' councils, segregated officials and judiciary, police terror, and the Ku Klux Klan. We Negro leaders kept contact, cooperation, and kept praying and making plans to overthrow segregation. First, by nonviolent appeal to conscience, and then by nonviolent direct action. In retaliation, Alabama outlawed the NAACP in 1956 loosing a series of bombings, beatings, and harassment of defenseless Negroes. But less than two weeks later, that act caused the organization of the Birmingham, Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights, which challenged all aspects of segregation in Bull Corners, Birmingham, and suffered untold indignities for seven years before combining with Dr. Martin Luther King's SCLC thus launching the massive nonviolent demonstrations of 1963, demonstrations which literally broke the back of legal segregation in the South. An exceptional man for such violent times, Dr. King truly practiced what he preached. He lived a nonviolent life. He was disturbed even to wound another person's spirit. Even while speaking the truth, in the sometimes contentious staff and board meetings. Once in Montgomery, I saw a man strike him, and he did not grimace or show anger. Instead, he turned a melancholy, forgiving face to his young white assailant and refused to prosecute. During the Mississippi Meredith March, a Klansman with a full gun rack in his truck nearly ran us down, stopping within five feet of Martin and me. Martin did not try to jump out of the way. He only said resignedly, Well, if this is where God wants it, we'll just have to go home from here. 
It was also during that march that he kept his remarkably stoic calm, as Stokely Carmichael frequently interrupted him with cries of, Black power! Black power! His calm aura translated into a refreshingly informal attitude as well. Once, while lecturing young President Kennedy by phone on the necessity of nonviolent creative tension, he paused in mid-sentence to say, uh, wait a minute, Mr. President. Uh, Ralph, bring me a couple of pieces of chicken back, please, and bring me some more of that bread. Fred, ain't this some great bread? We believed in nonviolence, yes, and it did work. We marched. We sat in. We campaigned. 